Well, we've grown through the teachings of Jesus, and he has taught us about many things. Today, he's going to teach us about temptation. Uh, do you, at this point in your life, having lived as many years as you have, do you know what I mean when I say temptation? Do you, like, have you ever experienced that where there's been something in front of you that promises you pleasure or fulfillment or satisfaction and you are so, what's the word again? Tempted to, let me show you this video here. I found a video of, a, of uh, kids being put in a very tempting position with a marshmallow. Here it is. We'll get the sound on that in just a second, I hope. Here we go. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Uh, it smells really So I'm going to leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> All right, now you know that experience, am I right? You know the experience of having something in front of you that's tempting and you know you shouldn't, so you just keep fiddling and, and thinking. And uh, you know that, don't you? Come on, don't lie in church. Don't lie in church. So, so what, what's with temptation? What's with this something sinful baiting us, trying to get us to go after it, to bite it? Like, why does it happen? How does it happen? And most of all, how on earth can we resist uh, temptation and win our battles with sin? Let's pray, and then we'll hear from the Lord Jesus on that one. Jesus, we thank you that you were tempted, just as we are. You never sinned. Show us how we 
can win our battles with sin, how we can resist temptation, how we can enjoy what you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 4. Bibles open to Matthew chapter 4. Jesus originally preached this sermon to Satan. In its original form, it was just Jesus and Satan in the middle of nowhere. Jesus preached this to Satan. He later gave it to his disciples who passed it down to us. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came. Uh, Write this down. What is temptation? Write this down. It's enticed to do or think something that's wrong or contrary to his will. You can be enticed to do something or enticed to think something that's wrong, meaning it's black and white wrong every time, or it's contrary to his will, which means in this circumstance, it's wrong. Sometimes it could be just, but it's wrong. That's temptation. Let me give you a brief overview of temptation. We'll call this temptation 101. Satan is called the tempter in Matthew 4, verse 3, meaning he and his fellow demons are personal agents of evil. He doesn't doesn't come up and bring evil to you and inject it into you and then walk away. Evil is already residing in your heart. He's got plenty to work with. All he does is call forth from within you the true sinful you. That's all he does. All right? He works in your own flesh, in your own heart to try and get you to do what you really want to do, which is sin. He appeals to your fallen nature. All right? Do you understand that? That he doesn't bring sin and cause you to sin. In fact, the objects of temptation that are around you don't cause you to sin. It starts from within you and it springs from your broken, fallen heart. If you blame the things around you or spiritual forces you can't control, you'll never get to the root of temptation because it lives within you. All right? Uh, Satan is a fallen angel. Demons are fallen angels. Uh, Their goal is to make sure Satan becomes ruler of this world so that they all go to heaven and we all go to hell. That's his goal. He's tempting you to fall or to become his. You have to understand also, the Bible teaches God never tempts us. James 1.13, God will never set before you something evil intending for you to take the bait. God never tempts you to do evil. But that's confusing, right? Because sometimes God orchestrates these things that can feel tempting, right? What you have to understand is God will test your faith. He will allow things to come into your life or things to be placed in front of you to test your devotion to him. God does test your faith. Here's, what's, here's the, the resolution here. They both happen simultaneously. You understand that? In fact, the word tempt in the Greek is the word test. It's the same word that creates, it's the circumstance that creates, is it a test or is it a temptation? Yes, it's both. And Satan is trying to uh, use this temptation to destroy you and God is trying to use this as a test to build you up. Satan means it for destruction. God means it for construction. It's happening at the same time. Okay? In addition, God always promises a way of escape from temptation in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So listen, hear me loud and clearly. You never, ever need to give in to sin to get where God is leading you. Never. There is a way out. You do have other choices. You don't need to go this road. 
All right, that's basically temptation 101. Now here, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So this is a God-led time of testing. And it happens in the wilderness, but he's going to be tempted by the devil. This is a satanic moment of trying to derail the Son of God from his mission. And it happens in the wilderness. That's supposed to be interesting. It's in the wilderness. The middle of nowhere, nothing around. He's just living on nothing in the middle of nowhere. How do you do with going out into the, into the wild? Do you like camping? Do you like to camp? Do you like to go out into nature? Do you like? We went camping last. We went to Holland, Michigan, Holland State Park. Let me tell you, it's not like roughing it. Okay, they had like real bathrooms and showers and all that. We had a little problem though, because we found out the first night that our tent was not rainproof. Slight chance of rain, right? And then, and we're in there trying to dodge the streams that are coming in and get some sleep. The kids are like, oh, "I'm getting wet." And then the next day, we woke up miserable and wet, and then I checked the forecast, and it said chance of hail. Hail. So I, had to, so I went to Walmart, and I had to find a hail-proof solution. And here's what I came up with. This is our tent covered with a 25-foot-long tarp that I just staked down over the top of it. We call it the armadillo. And uh, guess what? Hail-proof. Hail-proof. If you want to steal my idea, it's patent-pending. You'll have to pay me some sort of a royalty for it. You know, that's about as, like, wilderness as we get. Beach in Holland. Uh, Jesus was out in the wild. No tent. No pillow. Like, no lighter. No food. Sleeping in caves or for 40 days. Over a month. Here's a picture of the Judean wilderness that he was uh, out in. Yeah, I'm just going to go out there for 40 days and never come back. <laughs> That's what I would do. I would never make it back. Here's another picture. The, the wilderness. Just you and me, God, 40 days. Uh, so you can imagine alone, hungry, starving, thirsty. He was as vulnerable to temptation as anyone has ever been. This is where Satan decides to come and try to make him fall. We're supposed to have like a flat, when we hear wilderness, 40 days, temptation, we're supposed to have kind of a flashback. Like, wait, wait, what does that remind me of? I've heard of this before. If you remember, Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years where God tested them to see, and guess what? They failed. We also remember Moses went up on Mount Sinai for 40 days, fasting and praying. See, you're supposed to be like, oh, wait a minute. That sounds like what's, what happened in the Old Testament. See, but they kept failing. Jesus is now doing this to fulfill what was started through Israel. Satan comes up, and this is his big chance. I mean, this is the ultimate duel in all of humanity. Hey, I don't care what you watch on pay-per-view, boxing. You still watch boxing? Does anybody watch boxing? MMA, do you watch like pay-per-view? Like, like, oh, how much money did this gross? Like, if this was on pay-per-view, the, the prince of darkness against the son of light. The prince of darkness is record as he has never been beaten. He's a billion and old. This would be like a billion-dollar drawing bout. This is it. And Satan shows up and says to him in verse 3, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Interesting tactic. I could picture the other demons being like, hey, Satan, what are you going to do? This is your chance to like take out the big guy. I mean, what's your strategy going to be? I'm going to start with bread. 
I'm going to tell him to make some bread out of rocks. Huh? That, that's what you got? What? I keep tripping here. Why would he ask him to make bread? What kind of a temptation is that? He's actually asking Jesus to embrace a lie. What lie is he asking Jesus to embrace? It's the same lie he asked Adam and Eve to embrace when he started his plan to ruin the world with food. You look hungry. Why don't you eat? Eat the apple. You look hungry. Why don't you make yourself some bread? What is he doing? What what is he doing? You don't need God. That's the first lie. You can write this down. The first lie that he's going to tell you by making requests of you is this. You don't need him. You can do this all by yourself. Every parent knows when kids start to say that, right? I want want to do it. What? All by myself. One of our daughters once wanted to dress herself all by herself. She had like her pants on backwards, her shirt on backwards. She... Fine, dress yourself. I'll I'll all by myself. It's the first enticement. It's the first temptation. You know what? You don't need God. Act independently of Him, Jesus. Make yourself some bread. He's obviously left you out here to starve. You're going to do this alone. You don't need Him. Food is a temptation for many of us, right? The temptation to eat more food than we need or food that we shouldn't eat. Isn't it a temptation? Come on, admit it. Check this out. This is a kid at a party who was really tempted to, yeah, <laughs> he goes, mine. I'm going to go for it. Yeah. All right, but why, why would Satan start here? Well, listen, Satan will begin by appealing to your basest desires. All right? And he'll use your basest most instinctual, fundamental needs for good things to broker a relationship with the sinful solution. If you don't understand how this equation works, you're going to fall into temptation time and time again because it starts with something you really need and want. It's a good thing, food. If you saw Christ out there eating some wonder bread, you wouldn't be like, man, he just ruined it as the Messiah and no one's going to have it. You'd just be like, oh, he's eating bread. But real need... Real hunger, wrong fulfillment. You can justify your sin because it's something good, something you want or need or deserve. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm going to sin to get it. No. This is the equation. Satan appeals to our basest desires. You look tired. You look hungry. You look angry. You look sad. You look nervous. Well, yeah, I kind of am. Well, you know what you should do with that? You should... Then he walks you down a sinful path. The Bible uses a phrase called the flesh to describe the material part of you, uh, skin, stomach, bones, that craves sin. The flesh has real needs that God has promised to meet. But you want the needs met in excess or quicker then God intends to meet them. So your flesh ends up craving what sin has to offer. And getting saved does not take away your appetite for sin. You have to understand that. That's why you'll be tempted until the day you die. Your flesh craves very good things like food or comfort or companionship or even sex. 
or justice or safety. God made you to want these things, but the flesh is willing to strike up an alliance with sin to get them. That's where Satan comes in. He finds very real, good, godly things that you're, you're wanting or needing, and he brokers an alliance with sin to fill that need. That's temptation. The lie beneath that is you don't need him. He targets the desires of your flesh and says, you don't need him, I can take care of that, and off you go. Hey, just ask yourself, is this you? Are you in the wilderness? Put that picture up there again. Are you, are you feeling like God has left you in need for a long time? You've kept me out here in this barren, desert, painful. I'm getting impatient. I'm starving for something. You're not coming And are you tempted to do it all by yourself in a way that you know God has forbidden? See, Jesus here is called into a time to set himself apart for prayer and fasting so that he can get ready for his earthly ministry to save the world. And if he breaks that fast that his father has called him to, he sins. Hey, do it yourself. Feed yourself. See, when you get nervous, when you get anxious, do you know, it's actually funny, this is how food works. You know, we run to food, right? Why? Because we're saying, what I really need is I need more of me feeding me. And the truth is, you need more of God, right? And in the end of me thinking I need more of me, guess what? There's more of me to take care of. (laughs) It's ironic how that works. Um, But your appetites are supposed to show you that you need God, not more of you. So you can't do it all by yourself. The lie is you don't need him. Here's the truth. You can write this down. I desperately need God in every area of my life. That's the truth. Desperately need God in every area of my life. How did Jesus answer Satan? If you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Verse 4, do you see it? But he answered, it is written. Uh, Hey, do you see that? He loaded his shotgun up with truth and he's shooting to kill the temptation with his his own Bible, the Old Testament. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He quoted here uh, Deuteronomy 8.3. Deuteronomy 8.3, where it talks about God testing his people in the wilderness to see if they will obey him, to know that they live on every word that comes from his mouth. That's also where he provided manna bread for them to feast in the middle of the wilderness. That's showing them spiritually that he's the one who provides for them. Hey, listen, you want to know what's true? Your dependence on God is a fact of life. You need him for every breath. You depend on him for every beam of light that arrives here from the sun. So when you embrace the lie that I don't need him, I can do this all by myself, you're embracing a lie. You can't make that true. You can't safely navigate through this life and fulfill your God-ordained purpose alone. You can't. And when you believe the lie that you can't, I'm my provider, I'm going to make it happen, I just need to work hard, you're believing a lie. All right? Like, like if, if Christ, like, if he sneezed wrong and took his hand off of the steering wheel of the universe, we would all evaporate. You need him to live another second. God's just trying to show you that believing that truth is your way to make it to the end. Satan's trying to get you to believe a lie that's never been true and never will be true, that you can do it without him. 
You desperately need God in every area of life. That's the way that you were created. Hey, listen, God's voice called the universe into existence from nothing. God's voice, the Bible says, sustains the universe right now by the word of his power. You get saved when he breathes on you. And so when you stop listening to what's coming from his lips, you become deaf to your own source of life. And that's what Satan wants. He wants you to not live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. He wants you to stop doing what God's called you to do and to start doing it on your own. Truth is, I desperately need God in every area of my life. Uh, Hey, hasn't it been great to hear the truth from the lips of the Lord over this last year? He's taught us about some pretty important things, right? But hey, are you doing it? Are you obeying as as your sign to the Lord that you're staking your life on his teachings? I mean, think about what Pastor Brandon preached on with forgiveness last week. Are you doing that? Are you releasing people around you from the debt they owe you? Think about when Christ taught us about loving our enemies. Are you doing that? Are you doing the hard work of putting your enemies back on the list of people who deserve your love? What about pride? Are you humbling yourself from the two forms of pride we learned about? Are you not walking and living for your own glory? What about prayer? Do you remember the gears that we went through of what prayer God honors? It's got to be bold and it's got to be persistent. It's got to be humble and loving. And Are you doing that? That's your way of saying, I'm living, feasting, surviving on the words my God has shared with me. Lie number one, you don't need him. Do it alone. Lie number two, I des- or I mean truth number one, I desperately need God in every area of life. All right, what's the second lie that lurks between, tempta- between our temptations? There's three of them. The second one is found in verse five. It says in verse five, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands... They will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. All right, write this down. Here's the lie. The lie is this. You can't trust him. You can't trust him. Where does that come from? All right, this is going to take a little bit to unpack so that you get this lie. But look back at what Satan said. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. First in the wilderness... Now, they're in a populated area. They're way up on top of the temple in Jerusalem. And Satan walks Jesus up to the ledge and gets him to look down. And he, he tells him to jump. First, I'm going to ask him to make bread. Then I'm going to ask him to commit suicide. Bam, bam! What? what? I don't get what he's... All right, let me show you what he's doing here. He quotes scripture to him. Satan quotes Psalm 91, 11 to 12. Oh, you want to use the Bible, Jesus? I could use the Bible. Do you know Satan knows the Bible better than you do? He takes a verse out of context. Psalm 91, 11 to 12. You know this psalm. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of, of the Almighty. Although a thousand fall at your right hand, it won't hit you. He's quoting a really good psalm. But he's misapplying it. And it says in this psalm, 
It says, he will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Hey, the Bible guarantees that God will keep you from getting harmed. The angels will catch you. Your Bible says that. Why don't we put that to the test? Take a leap. Take a leap. Satan is quoting good passages and good promises, but he's doing it in a doubtful, defiant way. He's basically getting Jesus to believe the lie. You can't really trust him. All right? So he's saying two things. First, Jesus, prove you trust him. Jump. Prove it. Prove you trust him. Jump. And he's saying, prove he can be trusted. Jump. It's a doubtful, foolish leap into sin that tries to get God to act in a way that he has not promised to act. Are you following this? Satan will take you to the ledge in your life of a very desperate and dark moment and you're doubting whether or not God's even there. And he's like, well, why don't you just get him to prove it and do something foolish and try and hurry God up? And he uses this sense of, you don't even trust him. If you trusted him, you would make him do something. And he's using this simultaneously saying, he can't even be trusted. Why don't you prove that he can be trusted? He's stirring up doubtful things in your heart that gets you to do a foolish leap into sin. And that's not faith. It sounds like faith, but it's actually suicide. Are you afraid of heights? Are you afraid of heights? Are you afraid... Have you been to the Sky Deck in Chicago, the Sears Tower? Check it out. Here's a picture of the Sky Deck in Chicago. This little kid. Go ahead out there, honey. Lay down on the Sky Deck. Look, there's no harm up there. That's reinforced glass. <laughs> and then did you hear what happened with the Sky Deck? It cracked. Here's a picture of it cracked up there while people were on it. Yeah, there was, there were, it didn't happen this, but there were, there's reports of like teenagers going out there, jumping on it. Ah! Uh, But at one point, there was somebody sitting out there, and they just started hearing it cracking, and they screamed and jumped off. (laughs) It's cracking. Then the Sears Tower, it's the Sears Tower. You grew up in the 80s, right? It's the Sears Tower. And Pluto is still a planet. So the Sears Tower released a memo saying, well, it was only the top layer that cracked. Well, there's only two layers. (laughs) One down. You see, Satan gets you to go out there on the ledge, right? Out there on the ledge, and then, and then, boom, down you go. He gets you to leap into foolishness or sin. Why? Because you don't believe you can trust him. There's a, two different ways this temptation will be presented to you. You can write this down. First, you can't trust his promises. So, you can't trust him. You can't trust his promises. This is the one that he fed to Jesus. Your God won't save you from death. Go on, jump. See if he saves you from death. He won't, he can't. You think Jesus knew the cross was coming? You think he knew that there would be nails driven through his wrists and his feet? You think he wondered in the garden as he was praying, Lord, it's possible. Take this cup from me. You think Satan knew right where to hit him? Your God won't save you from death. See. It would have been foolish because Jesus knew that he was called to die. That's what the Father wanted him to do. Not, not to foolishly, defiantly push God into saving him from death. Jesus was called to die. Humbly. You can't trust his promises. He won't save you from death. Well, you know what, Satan? You're right. He won't save me from death. He'll raise me up after it, and then I'll have the power of life forever. True lie is what Satan was feeding him. 
you know, you're going to get screwed up by this lie. You can't trust his promises. I know God said that he'll protect you or sustain you or save you. You can't trust that. God can't provide for you. You've screwed your finances up too much. The promises don't apply to you. Oh, you think God can fix your marriage? Yeah, right. With the two of you, the way you talk to each other, with what's going on in your home, the promises don't apply to you. God can't do it. Hey, don't tell me what God can't do. Don't tell yourself what God can't do. Don't let Satan take the promises of God away from you and say, oh, they don't apply to you and lead you to do something desperate because of it. What, what are you telling yourself God can't do? You're believing a lie. The second form of this lie is this. You can't trust his promises. He told that to Jesus. Here's the next. You can't trust his warnings. You can't trust his warnings. Meaning, there are some consequences attached to foolish or sinful behavior in the Bible. And if you choose to do these things, you will get slapped with the consequences. So Satan will either say, the promises don't apply to you, or he'll say, the consequences don't apply to you. This is, what he, this is the same lie in a different form that he fed Adam and Eve. What did he say to Adam and Eve? Eat. Oh no, God said if we even touch it, we're going to die. You won't die consequences don't apply to you. In fact, you'll become like him. Christians all the time, before they sin, believe the lie that God's promises don't apply to me. So I've got to take matters into my own hands and jump. And the consequences don't apply to me. He'll somehow get me out of it. We do this all the time. Listen, the pavement is littered with bloody Christians who leapt at this temptation and God didn't catch them. And it crippled them in life because they didn't trust. Why didn't you catch me, God? Why didn't you trust me? Christians jump all the time. They jump into an enormous amount of debt and then they spiritualize it. We had no other choice. They jump into premarital sex and then it changes their life forever. Well, everything happens for a reason. Well, we know why that happened. They jump out of their marriage. There's no way God can fix it. And it's not happier the second go around. Why didn't you catch me, God? Why did you doubt me? You jumped. Christians jump all the time. Christians foolishly jump because they believe this lie. I can't trust his promises. There's no way God's getting me out of this one. I got to jump. I can't trust his warnings. I'm going to jump and he's going to catch me. You believe that lie and so do I all the time. And Christians make foolish decisions and they spiritualize it. I found this awesome guy, this cool guy. We've got a picture of him. His name's Henry. Henry has been a trapeze artist all of his life. So for his 65th birthday, he decided what? To go up into the Alps and to put his life in jeopardy. Notice he's sitting on a chair. He's about to let go. He's sitting on a chair that's resting on two glasses that's on another chair that's on four glasses over a cliff. And, and then he's like this. All right. If I did that, I'd go tumbling down the mountain and you'd never see me again. But this is, keep that up there. We've got another picture too. Here's, from, here's the rear view that's just a little, all right. Christians do this all the time. What? I got this. What are you talking about? Well, this is the way I have to do it. I got to assemble this together because God's not going to do it his way. I got to do this. Dude, you're going to like go over the cliff. No, I'm not. My God is stronger. He's going to save me. He's going to catch me. Everything happens for a reason. No, you're going to die. 
And you've got Christians all the time. They've got this weird setup and there's everyone around them saying, dude, get back from the ledge. This is not foolish. Or this is not faith. This is foolishness. It's because you're believing a lie that you can't trust him. You can't trust his promises. You can't trust his warnings. Satan, therefore, first appeals to your basest desires and tries to broker an allegiance with sin. Second, he gets you to doubt your God's promises or warnings and to leap into foolishness and then to spiritualize it. Here's the truth Jesus hits him with. Write this down. You can, in fact, trust every word God has ever spoken. You can, in fact, trust every word God has ever spoken. Reading on, it says here in verse 7, Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. But Deuteronomy 6.16 is actually a flashback to Exodus 17, where the people of God were in the middle of nowhere. They were hungry and they were thirsty and they didn't have water. So you know what they did? They went up to Moses and they're like, he's not giving us water. We need to go back to Egypt where we had three square meals a day and all the water we could. We need to turn around. Because God isn't providing for us. The Bible goes on to say in Exodus 17 that what they were really saying in their hearts is this. Is God really among us? They didn't trust him. Meaning it's a defiant demand. If you were really with me, you will do this for me. Issuing ultimatums to God. Good things. You think they needed water? Yeah. You think God's going to provide for them? Yeah. But getting all bossy and in God's face and holding your fist up and being, ah, you should have done it already, and then concluding his promises must not apply to you, walking in sin and concluding the consequences won't apply to you, that's exactly what Satan wants. But Jesus gives you the truth. The truth is you can trust every word God has ever spoken. Don't put him to the test. Don't defiantly doubt him. If you truly believe what God has spoken, you won't challenge God to hurry up. Hurry up, God. Hurry up. It's not happening fast enough. You better hurry up or I'm going to jump. If you're trusting God, you won't demand that God prove himself. Show me that you're going to do this. Give me some, this is the clenched fist in the air. You better do something to show me or I'm walking away. This is the deal making. You're trying to manipulate God. Because you believe you can't trust him. But the truth is, you can trust every word he's ever spoken. In addition, if you're trusting God, you are well aware of the natural consequences of doing foolish things in his name. You know where it will lead to. And you know God won't spring you out of that. Satan lies all the time. Sure, adultery is supposed to lead you to judgment and pain and disgrace and bondage according to God, but you can't trust that. You're happy. The kids will be fine. Your life won't be ruined. Jump. Well, I think I will. God hasn't fixed things yet. This is the sound of this temptation. Hey, maybe you're on the ledge. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is the one. You are right there. You are in a dark, desperate place. You are considering making life-altering decisions right now because you don't think God can make anything of it. And you're thinking of just jumping and and then you're going to spiritualize it when you do. Then you're going to slam on the concrete and ruin your life and wonder why God didn't catch you. It's because you're being tempted. You can't trust him. Jump. You can't trust him. Rush him. Doubt him. 
hey, listen, you've got to step back. You've got to step back. You've got to stop with your hasty choices and trust that God's going to come through. That's faith. I love this verse, Proverbs 30, verse 5. We'll put it up on the screen. It says this, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Memorize that and get back off the cliff. Well, the first lie is you don't need Him. Do it yourself. Truth is I desperately need Him in every area of my life. Second lie is you can't trust Him, His promises or His warnings, so you better just jump into foolishness or sin. Nope, nope. Truth is I can trust every word God has ever spoken and therefore I'm not going to put Him to the test. Here's the third lie. Write this down. You shouldn't worship or work for God. You shouldn't worship or work for God. This is where the first two lies were leading. An ultimate shift of allegiance at the level of the heart. If he could get Jesus to break from his fast and prayer time, and then he can get him to believe that God can't be trusted. He was going for this one all along. He can get him to totally shift his allegiance from God to where? Well, to himself and to Satan. It says here, reading on, in verse 8, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. So first the wilderness, then the ledge of desperation, now on the high mountain. And this is the mountain of glory. This is the mountain of success. This is the mountain of prosperity. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. What's that like? What's that like? What's that like? If Satan can in a moment cause Not just the wealth and the power of the Roman Empire. That's just the start. Every empire, probably even every empire on the planet that would come into being after that. Imagine in a moment seeing all the glory and the splendor and the praise and the worldwide allegiance. How many men with their armies have tried to gain control over all of this world? And some have and then they've lost it. And Jesus is here given the opportunity to get control to rule the world. What must that temptation have been like? And even better, there's no cross on the way. There's no need to die or suffer. There's no need to wait for thousands of years while God above takes His time. I've got it right now. Faster. Easier. Did this already belong to Jesus? ruling the entire world at some point. You see, Satan picks God's pocket. He can only bring you what God's already got for you. And he way over promises. Could he have given this to Jesus in some form, but it wouldn't have lasted forever. You see, he over promises and he under delivers. I've got faster delivery than God. Take it now. It's cheaper. Yeah, it's defective. The lie is you shouldn't worship or work for God. In fact, we can get this show on the road if you would just bow down before me. He says in verse 9, He said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. This is the God replacement plan. Same thing with Adam and Eve. You'll be like God. Do what I say, listen to my voice, and you'll be like God. Weren't they already like God? He picked God's pocket. I'll give you something that God already gave you. (laughs) And I'll take away your obligation to worship and serve the one true God on the way. 
Then, verse 11, the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Satan was driven away. Lie, you shouldn't worship or work for God. Hey, is this you? Are you in the place? Maybe you're not in the wilderness right now. Maybe you're not on the edge of desperation. Maybe you've like arrived and your life is pretty good and you, you've got some of your goals that have been accomplished and you're pretty well off financially and, and you're tempted to just live for you. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're on the mountaintop of prosperity. Maybe you're there and you realize you don't really need him anymore. In fact, you could be your own God. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.13 here where it says, Worship the Lord and serve Him only, not to replace Him with substitutes. You can replace God with so many things and chase down the glory of this life through so many paths. You can get on the sports plan of trying to become an athlete. You can get on the money plan of trying to become rich. You can grow your own business and have an empire. And, And listen, all those things can be done in faith. But if you believe the lie that you should worship, you should worship and work for God, you'll have nothing left at the end of it all. You'll get way up on the mountain and you'll have people worshiping you and working for you and you've got nothing waiting for you in the next life. You've gained the whole world and you've forfeited your soul. This is the temptation. And you want to know what's so seductive about this? Wow, he's driving the Benz. He's got the mansion. He's owning an empire. He knows famous people. God must really be blessing him. And God's like, he's got nothing. He's bankrupt in my kingdom. The truth is this, you were made to worship God and serve Him always. You can write that down. You were made to worship God and serve Him always. You were made to work for Him. Do you know the Bible says that God prepared in advance that there are works for you to do? I don't mean, oh, I'm a postman. I go to work and I do it to the glory of God. Yeah, you could do that. But there are some eternal things that God has prepared for you to do in His church and in His world. All right, that's why we challenge everybody at Harvest to be on a ministry team because there's no bleachers, there's no bench. We say everyone has a position to play on God's field every week in making disciples. You were made to work for Him. You weren't made to work for the stuff of this life. Listen, if you're just chasing you know, the, the ability to rise in comparison to those who live around you, you just want to be more wealthy, more well-off, have more possessions, a newer car, a bigger house. Hey, hey, be amazed by my purse. Be dazzled by these shoes. Check out my wheels. Look at my house. Uh, go like this, just for a moment. Go like this, everybody. and look. Go, on, go like this. This is what you get to take with you into the next life. All right, so if you're hoarding up things in this life to bedazzle everyone around you, you're bankrupt in the next life. You were made to worship the Lord, not to be worshipped by your neighbors. You were also made to serve Him. Listen, let nothing in this life promise you your happiness or your purpose but God. Never bow before money or sex or career or family or even love. Never. Never bow before any of that at the expense of serving the Lord. And listen, anyone or anything that tries to get you to step away from serving your Lord, you need to banish from your presence with a stiff rebuke. Listen, our college women who are here and our high school girls, you're, you're dreaming of the day that Mr. Wright comes along and your Romeo arrives and where's my prince? And listen, you're looking for the second most important man in your life. The first one is already there. You've got a God. Be careful of letting anything in your life become number one. That's exactly what Satan wants. And he overpromises and underdelivers. So here's the summary. Satan appeals to your basest desires 
He reduces the consequences of your sin. He dulls the promises of God. He deafens your ears to the warnings of God. He way over promises all the good things that are going to come to you from this sin. And then when you're in a heap with broken body, bloody all over the pavement, he laughs and walks away and leaves you to die. That's the deal. But I've got an encouraging word for you here. You see, sometimes as Christians, we say, man, I'm tempted every day and I fall into sin. I must not be a Christian. What? That is being a Christian. Sometimes we go to the cross and we get saved and we let Jesus deal with our sin. Then we walk away from the cross and we try and perform for the Lord and then we fail and we think he must not love us. Hey, we got to get back to the cross time and time and time again. If you listen to this sermon on what Jesus did when he was tempted and you think, well, now I know how to do it. I'll jot down these three things to do and I'll win my battle with temptation. You don't get it. You can't. You can't. You will face chronic temptation every moment of every day till the day you die. You will face customized temptation that is tailored to you and your weaknesses. You will. He's going to come for you. You'll also fall into a crisis moment where a temptation that really isn't around all the time, right now you've got to jump. Let me just ask you, where are you at right now with temptation? Where are you at right now in your battle with sin? Where are you at right now in how much ground you've let the enemy gain in your life? Are you, are you not doing that great with the chronic temptation? Just day in and day out, I could be doing so much better. Are you in a crisis where you're tempted to jump or doubt? Or I mean, is it on right now like it hasn't been before? Right? Or is there something that's just, other people don't have this, but this is your thing. This is your area. And, and he's just, people don't understand. This is where he's trying to get you. Is that you right now? And is the enemy gaining ground? Hey, listen, there's good news for you. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16 says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, that's Jesus, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The summary, the action step you need to take from this sermon is get into the presence of Christ. James 4, 7 to 8 says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How? Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Listen, I'm giving you an invitation right now at the end of this message to take action, to make a symbolic gesture of you drawing near to God to ask for help in your time of temptation. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if it's just the routine day in and day out that's sucking the life out of you and you just need victory. I don't, I don't know if it's a crisis moment and you just need more strength than you've ever needed before. I, I don't know if there's something in your life that maybe not even anybody knows about and you need Christ to be your victory. I, I don't know. I don't know if you're flat on your back in so much defeat that you're not even fighting anymore. You're not even putting forth the effort to try anymore because you've lost hope. I don't know. But God knows. And I want to give you a chance to respond to the word of the Lord today by doing this. I want you, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here right now. And during this last song, I'm going to invite you to show your dependence on the Lord, to draw near to Him by coming forward and kneeling down and praying and asking for help. What are you going to say to Him? 
I need you desperately. I trust you completely. I worship you alone. No one will know why you're here. No one knows what brings you up here. But if you need to come up, if you need to draw near to the Lord for any reason, I'm inviting you to do it right now. I'm going to be the first one down here. I'll be the only one up here, if that's what it means. But I want you to know that this is open right now. Let's all stand and we're all going to stand and sing. But I want to invite you to come forward right now to pray in the presence of your Lord right now.